I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And on today's show. Today's show, we've been gone for a while, so we're going to see if we remember how to podcast. And long silence. It looks like just Kate has make, already forgotten how to pick up. I was actually just thinking, how long can I go without you Before people turn silence. it off and, and turn on a more interesting podcast than ours? Well, because you know it's a journalist's trick, even though I'm terrible at it because I hate awkward pauses, is you ask someone a question and then they give you like a really short answer and then you don't fill For anyone the silence. who's actually had a conversation with Kate in person, there is not much silence. She actually well, a lot... Well, that makes it seem like I talk a lot. Well, you do talk a lot. That's what, exactly what I'm trying to say. What? And many of my friends, when they first meet you, actually find you mildly terrifying because you do kind of... I know berate is maybe not the right well, word. I think that you have totally painted the wrong picture of me. <laughs> I'm just saying that a lot of people will be like, why did they ask me so many questions? You ask a lot of questions. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I don't talk a lot. I, I'm curious about the other person. But you constantly make the other person talk. So by the time they finish a sentence, you are already wound up with another question for them. And there's no like, let me ask about you, Kate Fagan. Well, the point of that is, is that very few people actually are curious about other people. So if but I didn't maybe have... you're not giving people room to oh be curious. Oh my God, baby. You and I have talked about this so many times <laughs> and now you're acting like you don't agree with me on this. I have tried not having a question ready to go at a dinner, you know, like a, a four-person dinner when you're out meeting someone. And you often just turn around, look for the waiter. There's like weirdness. If, if, if someone's not prepared and it's almost always me to throw another question out there... Then the conversation just dies. Fair, but... Not all the time. But not always. To be fair, not it is men. not uncommon for you and I, after hanging out with people, after we've complained about how people don't know anything about us and that they don't aren't curious and they don't want to know, that we have that moment of, well, maybe we didn't give them enough space to ask us questions about ourselves. You just spit on yourself. I did. And <laughs> wiping it off right now. <laughs> I think that if any of our listeners ever end up having dinner with us, they should be prepared. <laughs> to compliment the, my rap no, name. No, they should be... Little Panty Wads. Well, Why didn't anyone message us about Little Panty Wads? And if you've never listened to this podcast, wack, I know that might be a confusing statement, but, but you need to go back and figure out why my name is Little Panty Wads. We have a lot to talk about on today's podcast. You know something I do want to talk about before we get into talking about other things that we're going to talk about? Wow, What? You know, public bathrooms and how do you use them? You know, the, you didn't run this topic by me, but I'm going to go with it. Good for you. Get back in podcasting mode. No, but you know, the whole like, how do you approach a toilet seat at a public bathroom? You know, that is there is a I think it's I, one of I those things that people lie of, about what they actually do. Well, I, I'm going to walk you through <laughs> what happens for me emotionally, because I don't think I've ever met someone who's like, mm, public bathrooms, yay! But obviously I'm one of those people that despises them. I, I will walk by the stalls and see which one seems to not be splattered because, ew. Standard and, operating procedure. Correct. And then once I feel like I have picked the most pristine stall that is possible, mm -hmm. I go in and I have that moment of like, do I wipe it down first? Or if I'm traveling, like maybe I have my little like doTERRA on guard spray and I'll spritz the toilet seat oh God. with my, I've done that before. That's very well. But more times than not, I'll be like, okay, I'm just, I'm a yogi. I'm really good at utkatasana. That's chair pose. I'm going to squat like a motherfucker <laughs> and I'm just going to get this out. And then a lot of times I'll be like five seconds into peeing and I get kind of tired <laughs> and I'll put one butt cheek down. <laughs> Thinking that, like, if it's just one butt cheek, I probably won't walk away with a clap. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
How often would you say? Because I love numbers. Every time. Percentage wise. Public 100%. bathroom. 100%. One hundred percent of the time a butt cheek goes down? <laughs> Just one. <laughs> what percentage of time do you actually fully squat and never touch the toilet seat? I mean, if it's if I am in No, no, no. the toilet on the way to Atlanta <laughs> when we evacuated from Charleston to Atlanta and we stopped 90 minutes outside of Atlanta, did your butt hit that toilet seat? Hell no. Okay. No, that was full on quad shaking. My butt cheeks <laughs> refused. Not even hairs on my leg will graze the seat. That was terrifying. But do you ever do the half butt cheek? Well, no, I either do, fuck it, I just like, I don't see the point of the half butt cheek. Because at that point, if you're going to get the clap or whatever it is, crabs, I usually think, <laughs> even though I think that's all just an urban legend, right? Didn't we, weren't we all told in high school, like, oh, that girl got crabs from sitting on the toilets? Well, and- I did read in an article recently that when you were in an airport, the most um, formulated area of germs is actually the security line. On it's what? not the bathroom. On, on it's not what? in the plane. Like if you on when you travel, it's like the trays where you're putting oh. all of your stuff into the trays because that's what everyone's touching and that's the highest germ locale. I for. guess so any germaphobes get your spray out. And, and so they they probably don't at night take a sanitizing wipe to those trays. Well, yeah, I just don't. You know, after you go to the bathroom, you think wash your hands, but I don't think after you've gotten your carry on and your liquids that you think wash your hands. And now you know, wash right. your hands. Do you think that anyone out there truly has never allowed their butt cheek to touch a, yes. rest, a, a, a public restroom toilet? Yes. Liars. No. Same with people who say they've never peed in the shower. You're a liar. <laughs> You're a liar. I call you as being a liar. Really, I feel like I have a handful of neurotic friends who definitely have never graced their butt cheeks on a public seat. I think there's a, couple th- there's a lot of things that we lie about how frequently we do it. And maybe this is the inverse. We lie about how infrequently we do it. I feel like I just Flossing went to church and confessed one. about my half butt cheek thing. <laughs> yeah, but I actually think that you're only telling the half truth, which is that really your whole butt hits the toilet <laughs> and you're pretending that you're all wellness Well, you didn't ask me what percentage it's just half butt cheek versus half. Fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> well, we had a whole podcast we wanted to do today. Oh, I know. I told and you this was the meander. warm up. But I, high five. Mm. Good one. We have on today's show, Brad Jenkins. Yes. Brad Jenkins' claim to fame is starring with Catherine Budig, a young <laughs> Catherine Budig, in Princeton, New Jersey, in Romeo and Juliet. It is true. Brad Jenkins' other claim to fame is working in the White House for former President Barack Obama and being the mastermind behind the Between Two Ferns episode with former President Barack Obama. But he's but, truly known for his in, co-starring in, performance. Of Romeo and Juliet with me. So you will hear both of those stories, <laughs> what it was like working. And how we rewrote Shakespeare. Yes. On the fly. On and the fly. Basically, it was Romeo and Juliet improv style. Don't, don't give it style. away. Yes, it was. Improv style. Yes, and this poison. <laughs> <laughs> and then Liz Moody is going to stop by. Yes, we have the food editor from Mind Body Green, a really lovely friend who has a new cookbook coming out, Healthier Together, and she is sharing a bomb recipe and it's hard to share a recipe on a, an audio format, right? So she formulated something really cool and lots of easy ways to switch it up to make your own rendition. Now, we were going, but first, Both we first. were going to start the show with part two of Idioms. Mm-hmm. Should, we, should we save that for next week or should we just 
Do it. Even you though, I mean, we took a long detour. That's like one butt cheek. You can't do that to the people. No, but it's called a tease. It's and called I learned it. Full splat. Working in radio. Drop that second cheek. So you want to do the idioms? Yes. Okay. So Catherine and I, we did this a few weeks ago and either many of you were calling for more of the idiom segment or one of you repeatedly called for more of the idiom <laughs> segment. We can't really decide, but we liked it. And so we've got Casual Lex in front of us, which is a book that delineates the origin of idioms. And I picked one that I'm going to quiz Catherine on, and she picked one that she will quiz me on. Do you want to start first? Sure. Okay. This is exciting because I'm normally the one who gets skewered for this. All right, Kate Fagan. Yes. My term for you, are we, are we phrasing it like Jeopardy? Oh, that wouldn't make sense because I have to give you the answer. Never mind. I'll just let you keep going. <laughs> We're just working it out on air. So the phrase for you is, it's raining cats and dogs. It's raining men. No, Hallelujah. no, no, cats and dogs. <laughs> okay. So it's raining cats and dogs. Obviously, it means I can Obviously. define it first. That's part of the, the quiz, and I just want to get the easy part out of the way. It's, it's raining cats and dogs as it's raining really heavily. It is pouring rain. It's raining cats and dogs. And that means... That's, that's accurate. <laughs> that is accurate. Oh, okay. You looked at me... Oh, well, I thought now that... now the origin. Yes. Now the origin. Now, well, I think everybody knows what it, that means. Well, no, because we've done ones before, like make no bones about it, where like I actually needed a definition. I kind of said it and I'm like, what does that actually mean? So, okay, so what is the origin? So there was the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven. Okay. And so we have this theory and we tell all of our kids that all of our animals, when they whoa, die, whoa, whoa. they go do to you a better place. This? They do. I'm just saying that like, I haven't proven it yet. It's, it's on faith. It's on faith that I believe this. Dude, Ashi is going to shun you like a mofo when we get home. I'm not saying that um, Ashi oh, would... I'm not going to heaven, mama, mama. I'm not sure if Ashi would go to heaven. She's a bit of an asshole. Oh, my God. She's an asshole. We are going to get hate mail, and I am going to let Ashi read it to you in the next episode. Ashi is illiterate. <laughs> you don't know that. She, she only knows street lingo. She can't write or read. She can only speak it colloquially. Say oh. that word. Colloquially. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have trouble with words like that, culturally. Culturally. Colloquially. Colloquially. So anyway, Fuck. it's raining cats and dogs. So when, when they don't go to heaven, storm, but we tell our kids no, that they do. No, when it's a huge storm, obviously all the cats and dogs that went to heaven are pouring out of the heavens for us. Like the Ashis, the rejects that shouldn't have been there in the first no, place? No, Ashi was not in heaven. No, Ashi accidentally got to heaven and they're like, oh, obviously you're going not, in the storm. It's not literal cats and dogs. They're just saying that that's what made the huge... Obviously, this isn't the right definition because I have no idea where this thing is from. But I loved the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven. All right. So in case that people want to legit know where some scholars think that this actually comes from, there's, there's two theories. One is that basically when it storms, it sounds like a dog and a cat fighting, which... That's a lame reason. I thought so, too. But this one, I think, is more interesting. Uh, scholars point out that witches were often credited with causing storms and often rode the winds in the form of black cats. And in Norse mythology, the god of the storms was described as being surrounded by dogs plus their wild cousins, wolves. And so when it rains, those things... That actually sounds like the Ashi voice. That's the, 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 the Wicked Witch from The Wizard and of Oz. Ashi Mutig here. All right. <laughs> My turn. Poor Ashi. She's you going ready? to doggy hell. She's going to purgatory. She's got to prove herself still. 
<laughs> purgatory. That's even worse. A land with well, no at least it's not straight to hell. Anyway, listen, guys. I she am... hang out with Cerberus. Are you ready for yours? Yes. This is odd that we picked these two. Oh. Because mine is, let the cat out of the bag. Booyah! <laughs> okay. Well, let the Fine. cat... Let the cat out of the bag is when you release a secret. Okay. That's not supposed to be told. Yep. And I would say <laughs> that the origin of let the cat out of what the bag voice is, that? is cats are really smart. <laughs> and so when people don't feel good, they tell their problems to their animals. And when it's really important, they will tell the cat. And then the cat is like, fuck you, motherfucker, I'm a cat. And then they get... <laughs> In a fight, ah, that was and then the human is like, "Damn you, cat! Go sit in that bag." And then, whoa, whoa, whoa! And then, it, but no, there's like holes poked in it so they can breathe. <laughs> and there's, it's a humane bag. There's that like, the cat is it's in. a really big bag. There's like kitty litter in the bottom. Do you want to know the real? And and yes, <laughs> this is actually a good one. British tenants who farmed land belonging to gentry were supposed to turn over part of all they produced as rent. Many adhered to the letter of the law, but some on the side, they sold suckling pigs, considered a delicacy and easily carried without reporting the transactions. Frequently concealed in bags while being taken to market, black market animals were bought by butchers at bargain prices. By the 18th century, shrewd farmers had learned that in a hasty illegal sale, it was easy to pass off a cat as a young pig. When a suspicious buyer insisted on seeing the merchandise before he paid, he sometimes found his doubts confirmed. Today, a person with inside information may slip and give clues. Even though neither a feline nor a bag is involved, comrades are likely to chide the revealer of the secret as having let the cat out of the bag. Well, that's depressing. Jesus. Well, but, but, it, but it actually makes sense. You know, sometimes they'll... I and feel by like, the way, a suckling pig and a cat, there's no way. In a bag? How? I mean... What, what, I'm sorry. Would if you, you put a little baby pig in a bag, maybe it'll take a nap. But if you put a little kitty in a bag, it's going to be like... Honestly, I don't know that you know enough about this to make a judgment. I feel like in the 18th century, when their livelihood depended on, they probably knew better, is all I'm saying. A cat would know to be quiet? No. I'm saying they obviously knew the cat... Could impersonate the pig. Impersonate actually just sounds like he actively chooses to impersonate the pig. Obviously, it worked because that's why they did it. And that's why it's in this book I, written down by men for us to read. It's suspicious. Let's bring on Brad Jenkins. Let's do it. Let's talk to that man. Let's bring him on. Bradley. Besides being one of my best friends, Brad Jenkins is an expert at turning belly laughs into beltway advocacy. It's wow, funny. Where, wow, who wrote that? I don't know. It's in I Brad's like bio. It. I know. I, I'm going to keep telling people about the Bradley. Okay. So as Funny or Die's managing director and executive producer, Brad manages creative campaigns and political strategy for nonprofits, foundations, and national brands. Before joining Funny or Die, he spent four years serving as President Obama's associate director in the White House Office of Public Engagement. Such a cool job. From the White House, Jenkins brought together creative executives, thought leaders, and some of the world's biggest stars to advance the president's agenda, culminating in the Emmy Award-winning Between Two Ferns interview on the Affordable Care Act. In 2008, Jenkins served as the Deputy Director of Special Projects for President Obama's election campaign, specializing in the intersection of digital media and grassroots engagement, helping the campaign turn out 
of the largest youth vote numbers in history. He is a proud New Jersey native. That's where we did our theater together. New Jersey! And I don't think you knew this, Kate, but he also graduated from my school, University of Virginia, and now resides in Washington, D.C., where he spends most of his spare time doing living room comedy sets for his five-year-old daughter and three-year-old son. And Brad is also, he's a big wig. He's appeared on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, Yahoo, anywhere where famous people should be. That's where Brad is. And I am so proud that... My Romeo to my Juliet has done all these things. It's I'm actually I really am proud. He's done amazing things in this world. Let's talk to this man. Let's get him on the phone. Brad Jenkins, welcome to Free Cookies. Y'all, I am very fired up for this. <laughs> I'm very fired up. You, you are the king of the term fired up. I started using fired up because you use fired up so much. It's true. It's it's an annoying thing. I say it all the time. And now I think it's, I think people like it, but who knows? I think may, people may be just making fun of me all the time. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, so it's dated. Aww. It's a little dated. It's true. <laughs> Catherine like actually it, looked it at me. It shows how old I am. <laughs> that makes us all dated then, I guess. <laughs> Y'all, I got to jump in because I don't know when we're going to get to this and there's going to be no segue. So why don't we just start here? Can you guys tell your Romeo and Juliet story, please? Oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I think I think Catherine may have to start. I mean, well, we should provide we, a little bit We should bit give a context. little back. Right. So Brad yeah. and I met when we were teenagers. And we both acted in the summer program in Princeton, New Jersey at McCarter Theater. It was, what was it called? Summer Shakespeare? I think it was that simple at McCarter. I think, I think that that's right. And yep. um, we were cast as Romeo and Juliet together. And we were amazing. We, we were, <laughs> you know, making people cry, I think, because it was evoking so much truth um, but we had, so I, I, not to spoil it for anyone who doesn't know Romeo and Juliet, but at the end of Romeo and Juliet, they both die. And, uh, Juliet takes, no, 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 no. Romeo takes poison and then Juliet stabs herself. And so it is written by <laughs> Mr. William Shakespeare. <laughs> and this is where Brad, I feel like maybe you should set the scene for what you decided to do one night. <laughs> So yeah, uh, so what what did happen? So oh, I our, our costume, <laughs> my costume, my costume, um, the, the the wardrobe uh, were very elaborate, very beautiful costumes, <laughs> and I had a um, a pouch, a sword, a pouch. Right, the, the the pouch was sort of on my on my person, and I guess I like uh, tied it too tightly, or it was like double knotted or triple knotted, <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't. Uh, unhook the pouch from my from my waist and we're on stage we're you know this is like in the middle of the show I'm, I, I i can't remember any of the shakespearean uh verse here but i'm like doing the whole bit about to kill myself and i couldn't get it off my waist and each time i was trying to take it off my waist i kept hitting my 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 sword and for whatever reason, I just decided, like, fuck it. I'm just going to stab myself <laughs> with a sword. And I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what overcame me. I think it was just panic. It's not like you and could so, act 
and pretend yes. that you got the poison and take it. No, no. Brad's all no. about the like the most realistic interpretation of acting possible. <laughs> so he think- freaking stabs himself. And not only do you stab yourself, you die on your sword. You literally died on your sword. And so when I come to, yeah. you are face down lying on top of the dagger that I'm supposed to kill myself with. And the, the best part about all this, uh, our stage manager, <laughs> Billy, who's standing, you know, in the wings, right before you stabbed yourself and Billy really processed what you were about to do. I, I don't know if anyone in the audience could hear it, but I definitely heard it. I just heard this, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I remember that, too. Mm-hmm. It was really a bad move, but in retrospect, like, I feel like I almost invented a new genre of, like, improv Shakespeare. Funny or die Shakespeare. Anyone else, yeah. Anyone else, re- you know, rewrote the bard on stage. But you no, were fucked because, like... I had because, to rewrite like, the bard. Didn't... I was the one who still Yeah, I was going to say, you had to rewrite everything. <laughs> I'm all like, oh, it must have been poison. Oh, no, it's not poison on thy lips, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, so I had to roll yeah. him off of the sword. And he was very convincing. You were not easy to roll over. And magically, I knew that there was a dagger. And then I took my life and the curtain went down. And you were just like, oh, my God, dude. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we like to reinvent the classics. That's something that Brad and I do very well. It's part of our repertoire. Repertoire. This is... This is true. Yeah. it's Well, it's a story, right? I mean, we can always tell this we'll weird have story. Forever. forever, Brad. It's true. We'll always have so Summer Shakespeare in Princeton. Well, we'll also have the fact that you and I, whenever we didn't have dates to a school dance, took each other and we didn't even go to the same school. I think I have, like... This is also true. Four different school dance photos of us, which I will definitely share on Free Cookies podcast on the oh, Instagram yeah. page. Oh yep. man! I don't know that I. That's going. I don't up. know that I've even seen some of these photos. Oh, they're good. Yeah. So Kate. So Kate. Catherine was. Um, I'll do a little bit of context for Catherine. So I grew up in this, uh, you know, pretty, pretty suburban blue collar town, and I started doing the summer Shakespeare thing, and it was like a huge moment for me. It like changed. I mean, I don't know if Catherine and I ever talked about this, but. It was a very formative moment in my life because it like opened up this world of, oh shit, there's all these like brilliant, unique, weird, and like weird in like the best connotation, like weird kids (laughs) who would willingly sign up for summer Shakespeare (laughs) in Princeton, New Jersey. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, and Catherine was like, I mean, compared not to say anything disparaging about my former high school classmates, but it she was just like the most sophisticated, coolest. She could probably have done a podcast at the age of 15. I know the technology was not available at, you know, back in the late nineties. I've got my tape recorder. I'm pushing the red button. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah. And then we just kept going to each other's proms. Essentially we were just each other's like prom dates for, for many years. We were professional prom daters. You're very you were a very lucky high school guy then. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just excited because I got to wear a bunch of different dresses. I haven't changed a lot since then. <laughs> All right. So Brad, will you tell the people kind of what you're up to? What is the latest going on with you? Give them set the scene for them. I know. Tell us tell yeah. them from a Carter Theater, Summer Shakespeare, totally fucking up to whatever it is that you're up to now. <laughs> I know, right? 
Well, so I play Romeo uh, in a Shakespeare festival. No, I, I don't do that. So I, um, I have a weird job. I work uh, in Washington, D.C. I used to work for President Obama. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. He um, rings a bell. That guy rings a bell. Um, <laughs> I used to work for President Obama, and now I work for a company called Funny or Die, which is Will Ferrell's comedy company. Um, it's been around for over 10 years now, and I do all of their political comedy production. So we do um, videos and long form and political campaigns, but the whole point of it is to create um, actual entertaining political content, because most political content is is just pretty bad and, you know, people yelling at each other and um, pretty divisive. So we, we try to bring some humor and levity to, um, although it's, a, it's, it's awkward now because it's like, I feel like much of politics is funny, but a lot, right. of, a lot of it is unintentional. Like it's not, um, uh, it's not meant to be funny. Uh, so, so yeah, so I do everything from, you know, we'll do videos with organizations. We'll do, we're doing this big youth vote campaign called Glam Up the Midterms with our good friend, Billy Eichner. Um, and we're shooting some stuff this weekend in Los Angeles. We do live events, which are a lot of fun. We do, um, you know, big events with comedians and musicians. And so it's, um, it's a lot of fun, man. It's, it's also a weird, we live in a weird world. Washington is probably weirder than it's, than it's ever been. I've, I've lived in DC now for over 10 years and, um, it just feels, and I know your pod isn't that political, uh, and, and which I love because it's, it's, it's so hard every day. It's, it feels like, like war, like everyone is just yelling at each other and angry. And, um, so it's nice to be able to sort of work on important issues and important causes um, but the whole point of it is to be entertaining, right? Like the mm. whole point of it is to find ways to make, um, otherwise really tough issues or, um, divisive issues a lot more palatable or interesting or compelling to both sides. So that's, that's like a very fun part of the job. And like, to be honest, there aren't a lot of jobs like that in politics. Like yeah, you scored much- one of the most interesting jobs. I mean, only Brad Jenkins could have gone from Romeo to working for President Obama. And I feel like I can safely say that you single-handedly saved the ACA Act. I mean... Oh, I, that is completely untrue. We're totally going to put I'll that in your it. pocket. I'm putting that in your back pocket. <laughs> but so... And people are probably like, what do you mean that's what happened? So I, 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 would, I would love to know what the environment of the Obama White House was like. I feel like that must have been such an exquisite experience to be in that world. I'm also curious, do you, do you miss that? Do you wish you could go back to it? Or are you now just, you know, obviously thrilled to be evolving and moving forward, but the difference between working for President Obama versus the work that you're doing at Funny or Die now? Yeah, I mean, I love, I, I wouldn't, well, it's, it's interesting now because it's so funny. My daughter, so I have two kids. I have a five-year-old daughter, Sadie, and a three-year-old son, Oscar. And uh, my, so much of my life is just being a dad. Um, and I had this really lucky uh, experience because I got to be a White House staffer for President Obama, and my daughter got to experience a lot of it. And I think that we, 
I was just thinking about this recently because Sadie, whenever we pass the White House, so, you know, our house is maybe a mile away from the White House and we still pass it all the time. Her, you know, her uh, summer care program was right across the street from the White House. So she would, um, she would just ask, she was like, so when are we going back to the White no. House? <laughs> when are we going to go trick or treating? Because, you know, all of these things we would get to do, we would get to go to the White House Christmas party and Sadie would, you know, yeah, she went and saw Michelle Obama's garden mm-hmm. and you know, like these things that she just sort of took for granted that um, I'm just so lucky that she was able to experience. So those things I obviously miss, right? Like it's just such a, it was such a privilege and an honor to be able to like go to work there every day and have my family be a part of it. And, and that, that's something that, um, and I also realize that will probably never happen again. So, I mean, we're also very honest with Sadie. We're like, yeah, we're never going back to the white house, baby. Like that was, that was just a very lucky moment we had. Um, we don't want to get her hopes up, but, um, so I miss that, but the work itself, I mean, the thing is, um, you know, I think that when you're able now looking back and, and seeing, um, seeing this Trump White House, which, which, and I don't want to talk about Trump too much, but um, I think that what I realize now is the, the actual work, the work, my job at the White House was trying to reach as many young people and then get them to do stuff, right? To get them to, um, in some cases, you know, uh, sign, in, in the case that Catherine brought up, sign up for the Affordable Care Act or to get them to make sure that they fill out their FAFSA form for, for college or to make sure that they, um, you know, very kind of basic public service awareness campaigns. And but making in it retrospect, like the young. White House yeah. is probably the worst place, not the worst place, but it's, it's just, you know, because it was the president, because we were the White House, half the country just didn't want to hear what we were saying. Right. You know, like it, it didn't matter what we, what we were talking about. We did this whole campaign um, that we helped with with Michelle Obama on healthy eating, right? Just like getting kids to to eat healthier and to exercise, and that's a pretty the partisan issue. How campaign. dare you? <laughs> pretty nonpartisan, and um, you know, half the country hated it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think that what what I'm real die is and the other piece of it which is kind of ironic now but when working at the white house there's just a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of um institutional um concerns that we would have to have about you know is this befitting of the president to do this or that or you know well what would past presidents have done on this on x y or z and a lot of my job was the sort of mix of pop culture and arts and, you know, creatives and celebrities and a lot of opportunities we just had to say no to because we're like, yeah, that's cool. But I don't know. It's probably like a little too edgy or a little too, um, you know, a little too young for us to do. Um, and ironically, like this president has broke, broken every norm and every decorum and institution so yeah, no, I love, I mean, I love what I do now and um, I still get to work to, you know, we're still plotting and still getting to, to do things with uh, the Obama office. And I just saw those guys a couple of weeks ago and we're plotting a lot of different things. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun what I'm doing right now. I think I wish maybe 
the state of our democracy was in a little bit better shape. But um, but no, I mean, I would government was hard, man. Like you, you just, you're, um, you're always sort of on call, you know, like the hours really sucked. The pay really sucked. Um, it really is like public service. It's not glamorous. It's, it's, uh, you have to wear a damn suit every day, which (laughs) I like was the fucking worst. So yeah. So it was, there are a lot of like cool things about the job, but I think like culture, like I, I, for me, and Catherine knows me very well, like, you know, I curse a lot and I like wearing sneakers and, you know, like I, I'm the, the, the parts of the job that I think the trappings of the job of like, you know, feeling important or powerful or feeling like you're some type of gatekeeper or all of those things that I think a lot of people, um, not to point to the Trump white house, but a lot of people like why they want to work at the white house were just things that I didn't care about. Like, I just didn't, that wasn't, you know, I sort of like lucked into working at the White House. So I was much more interested in the actual work and, and, and actually being successful at what we were doing as opposed to, you know, the fancy business cards and, and the fancy meetings that we were in. So, all right. So I'm looking at the book that we mentioned in the intro, West Wingers, um, and your chapter in it is about the between the ferns episode that president obama did uh between I, two ferns oh sorry between two ferns is the actual name of the show <laughs> also between the ferns <laughs> conveys the same visual <laughs> just saying just saying <laughs> and your chapter is about that moment but can you kind of share for our can you share for our listeners a synopsis of of that event and how that went down yeah. So, um, so the, the affordable care act, which, um, you know, I, depending on what side of the political stripe you are on, um, it was, that was the law of the land, uh, for all people, um, in 2013. And so our job at the white house was trying to get the word out about this new law and to get as many people to sign up for it, because the more people that signed up for it, um, the more effective it was going to be because that meant that more people were paying into the system and people's premiums were going to come down. So anyway, so our job at the White House was try to get as many people to get the word out on social media, to do videos. You know, we lined up all of these celebrities. Um, and unfortunately, the day that it launched, healthcare.gov didn't work, which, uh, you know, I'm sure your listeners would remember. It was like a complete complete embarrassment and it was like really 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 ugly did your phone Um, stop ringing i mean how many hate messages did you get it it was really bad man like lady gaga um, call you herself and she was like you are not a little monster to me anymore (laughs) (laughs) well Catherine is is not exaggerating like a lot of my job was um we were lining up like the biggest celebrities in the world so you know we spent and in a lot of cases we like traveled we like go to la and like sitting down with people's teams and like going through why this is so important. And in many ways, like begging, you know, we were begging yeah. like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry were like, this is so good. And, you know, this is going to mean so much to kids who need healthcare. And I mean, celebrities and, you know, Kate and Captain, you guys work in this world, but like not a lot of them want to get political and they definitely don't want to get involved in something that could potentially be, you know, uh, their, there's like backlash, right. Where the public can say like, what are you doing? Why are you promoting this thing that doesn't work? So, um, 
So no, I mean, I got like really, really angry phone call and like really angry emails directly from talent, um, from people that I like really admired. And it was really, it was an awful couple of days. And there, there wasn't a lot that I could say, right? Like, one of my, I'm just like, sorry, man. Like, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. It doesn't work. So, um, so anyway, so these Silicon Valley engineers came to DC and, and they fixed the website. It took them two months. Um, That's crazy. It's crazy. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, bureaucratic malpractice to be honest. And, you know, the one good thing that came out of it was this guy, Mikey Dickerson, who's this Google engineer, one of the best engineers in the country. Um, Obama had convinced him. Obama personally had to convince this guy to come and fix this because he was like, he's like the best engineer in the country. He knows how to fix these systems. And um, Mikey eventually stayed on at the White House and he created this thing called USDS, United States Digital Service, which he essentially tried to like clean up all of government um, sort of IT technological infrastructure because it was just so dated mm -hmm. and the system that we had and the vendors and the contractors and all of the people that we were paying to do all of these kind of basic IT work were fucking awful. <laughs> so, um, cause that's just the way government works, unfortunately. Right. And so Mikey came in and, and kind of like fixed. So that's one of the positives is that because it was such a disaster, it sort of forced us to reassess every single, um, you know, technological, um, archaic thing in the federal government. So anyway, so in the midst of them fixing this website, our team had to figure out, well, how are we going to like relaunch this website once, once it was fixed? Um, and so one of the ideas that we had that I really advocated for, and we had met the Funnier Die guys um, uh, a long time ago. And um, in fact, Zach Alphanakis and Scott Aukerman, the creators of Between Two Ferns, and Mike Farah, who's, who is now my boss at Funny or Die, um, had pitched uh, the White House before. They were like, oh, we'd love to have Obama on Between Two Ferns. So it was a very longstanding idea, but no one really took it seriously. It was always this kind of like, yeah, that could be fun if Obama went on Between Two Ferns. Um, but I just fell in love with the idea. And a lot of the reason why was because... Um, the exact demographic that we really needed to sign up for healthcare was the demographic that watches these videos. Right. It was largely young, uninsured, healthy men who hate going to the doctor, right? And who really only sign up for healthcare because their mom like like annoys them to hell and then they finally sign up. And I know I'm sounding very uh, um, <laughs> stereotypical, but it's actually like true. Like we asked all these like, focus group and consumer experts like what really motivates like young men to sign up for healthcare? It's like, Oh, their mom, like annoying them to sign up for healthcare. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so this video, so this, this between two ferns, which is this cult classic that funnier die produces. Um, it was a perfect format for Obama to go on because the format of the show, if you guys are fans is, um, you know, he, he has these like really big celebrities on the show and Zach, Galifianakis essentially just makes fun of them the whole time. Um, and they, you know, a lot of the celebrities will promote whatever movie or product or book or whatever it is that they're promoting, just like any other talk show. So 
there was just like it was just a perfect synergy of like, well, Obama going on between two ferns to pitch healthcare.gov like that in and of itself is really funny because it hasn't been working for the past two months. Um, and then also like we actually needed to do that. Like we actually did need to reintroduce it. Um, and for especially for the audience that will watch the video, regardless, we would we we're just like keeping our fingers crossed that, you know, OK, if X million people watch the video hopefully some of them will actually click through and go to healthcare.gov. Um, and they did, which was crazy. So they, they like, the video came out. Um, and how many blew. views did it end up getting? It got, get I mean, it, the, the other thing is this predates, so technology changes so quickly, but the video, um, when it came out in, I guess, 2013 or 2014, um, Facebook didn't have native video yet. And Funny or Die um, was still like a website. I mean, websites, it's like people don't go to websites anymore to watch content. It's mostly, you're mostly watching, you know, videos on Facebook or YouTube or, right. um, so most of, most of um, the views on Funny or Die was on funnierdie.com. Like people would like click, go to funnierdie.com and like watch the video. And so it got something like 30 million views on funnierdie.com within a few days, which was just like, yeah, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy. And so if, if it was on Facebook, like we were trying to do the math uh, last year, it would have been like something like a hundred million views because wow. Facebook also, as you guys know, like views, the share. Count, it's like five seconds or if you scroll, it counts as a view. And so the, the number of people that watched the video and then the number of people that were clicking through, which is what um, what we were watching at the White House, so Health and Human Services and the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, all they cared about was how many people are going to go to healthcare.gov and sign up. Like, that's all they cared about. And the traffic to healthcare.gov um, from the video, the, the traffic increased by 40%, um, which was which is like a crazy number for healthcare.gov, all because of this video. <laughs> and... Um, and because people were talking about it and obviously it was like trending and, you know, Fox News was doing whole bits about how this is like the worst thing ever and this is unpresidential. And, you know, so it became this like hotbed of, you know, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? But regardless, it was creating a conversation and people were going on the website and signing up. And um, there's a direct line. Um, CMS actually created this like direct line of when the video launched to the to the final day of enrollment and it was literally like youth enrollment um the youth vote number enrollment that we were going for uh, uh is directly related to the video um which is crazy that like just a piece of content can save um in many ways save that first year of enrollment but it was it, genius it was, and i it i was would, crazy man yeah it's I mean, genius it was, it, and i i mean I don't think I thoroughly understood how much you were, you were masterminding this kind of approach. And I would love for you to just to share with everybody, I don't know, what did it feel like when you were the one asked to go in and tell President Obama exactly how well it was doing and that, you know, that it delivered exactly what he was wanting it to and more? Like you got to be the messenger to go in and stand in front of him and tell him that. What was that like? I, yeah. <laughs> um, it was, 
it, it, it was pre- it was pretty awesome. I mean, the, the one thing about it. Um, Did you think he was going to hug you like for a second where you're like, he's totally going to hug me? A little me. bit. Yeah. I mean, no, I didn't know. Well, one, I didn't know that I was going to, I didn't know that I was going to be the person that, uh, to give him the news. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I also didn't, ex- didn't expect it because, um, yeah, there's just a lot, there, there are a lot more people that could give him the news, um, including my boss, Valerie Jarrett, who, um, in many ways, a lot of this really, this was all Valerie. Like she was the person who, um, you know, went with me to Funny or Die and met with Zach and she approved the whole plan. And she really was the one who advocated for it, for the president. Um, but she very generously, her and her chief of staff very generously, you know, because this was kind of my baby and, and it did require, as you can imagine, there's like the, I I didn't go through the whole behind the scenes of like the actual, how do you actually get this done? Right. Like how do you actually, because we had to shoot it in a short amount of time. There's the sort of creative back and forth between Zach and Scott and our office and our speech writers and our policy people and our communications team who all have, you know, interests in this and stakes in this. Um, And then actually how do you get, um, you know, get it on the calendar and, and make sure that um, that we stick to it. Because at the White House, the other thing and people may, I mean, I think most people would sort of appreciate it, but, you know, the president's calendar changes every day because you just don't know what's going to happen in the world, right? Like, you just don't know what, you know, humanitarian crisis, what school shooting, what um, potential war. I mean, there there's never, you can sort of, um, plan for things, but there's always that very good chance that it won't happen. Right. And I think that that's another thing that we kept, you know, sort of warning Zach and Scott that, you know, look, we're, we're going to try our best. We're going to put it on the calendar. <laughs> like We're, we're going to try to make this happen, but who knows what's going to happen. Maybe it's not going to be a good day to, to shoot this, or maybe it's not going to be a good day to release this is the other piece that, you know, we were able to actually shoot it. And then, you know, who knows if it's the right time to release a video like that. Um, So there were a lot of variables and a lot of up in the air. And my job um, at the White House was really being uh, sort of a producer. I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. It wasn't until after I left the White House uh, and worked at Funny or Die as a producer that I realized that my job was essentially just like keeping the project from dying uh, so, um, and just trying to, in many ways, like convince everyone in the building that this was going to be a good thing. And so, um, so yeah, so I went into the Oval. It was, I, I was, you know, I had sort of my facts prepared for the president and to tell him that it was, uh, that it succeeded and it did, you know, it was great. And, um, he, uh, you know, I mean, you guys, I mean, we've all seen the president on television and you know the way he, he's just always cool, right? Yeah. Like he's just always, you know, even keeled. It doesn't, he doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. And, um, he, the way that he took the news was, I think the way that. Oh, Brad. Oh, there you are. Hey Brad, you say that one more time. Me? We had a weird blip right there. Yeah. It was, someone was calling me Sorry about that. Um, okay. No, I was going to say that, you know, he took the news like he probably took any news that's probably way more important than the news that I gave him. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, he was very excited and 
awesome. And um, I think his thing was, because we weren't finished with the enrollment period. So we still had a good, I think, three weeks left. So, um, you know, he wanted to know what the next thing was and like who we were bringing in and who he was going to talk to. And we, um, we had scheduled that day for him to meet with a bunch of um, YouTube creators. So, you know, the conversation shifted to that and he was like, okay, well, who am I meeting with and um, who are they reaching and what can we do with them? And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. I mean, again, it's one of these things where in the book I talk about how I had like baby vomit on my sleeve and I didn't realize (laughs) it until after I left the Oval Office. Um, And which is, you know, which is just the very veep like moment par for the course. Uh, um, you're, you're just sort of thrown in these situations and you hope that you don't fuck it up. And, uh, and thankfully we did not, which was, uh, which was cool. And, and it's when we, um, uh, at the end of my white house, you know, uh, term, I guess you can call it the, uh, you get a departure photo, which is this, which is a very special moment. Every White House staffer, uh, before they leave, they go to the Oval Office with their family and they um, take a photo with the president and the official White House photographer. And you sort of tell the president, you know, what you're going to do with your life, essentially. <laughs> and he, uh, no pressure. You know, he thanks you for your service. And, um, and it's this moment. And it's so funny, like when I came in there, he was just in a really good mood. And also I had Sadie, you know, my daughter and Oscar had just been born. So he was, this is my son. He was maybe like two months old. He was super young. And the president was like, so into the kids, but you know, he just wanted to talk about between two ferns the entire time (laughs) that I was in there. And, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, Zach won an Emmy award for the, for the episode. And he wanted to know where his Emmy award was. He's like, how come I get an Emmy award? Um, and so, yeah, so it's very cool, man. I mean, still to this day, I think, you know, I've only seen the president a few times since, uh, since he's been out of uh, office. And it's like, I'm now like the between two ferns guy um, to him, uh, which is, which is a cool moment. And I think it's also a crazy thing because they're building this library in Chicago Um, the Obama foundation is raising all this money and there's going to be this presidential library and center. And, um, that will be like a, a, a component of it. Like that's, it's, it's crazy that this, this little video ends up becoming sort of a part of presidential history, which is a crazy thing to say out loud, but, um, to be, you know, to have sort of one thing that I was able to, to be a part of is very cool. Yeah. And, and you're, your job now at Funny or Die, I know you touched a little bit about it earlier, but I think as someone who likes to think they're funny in person, but isn't funny <laughs> like in a writing way or wouldn't want to be charged with writing a comedy, I find comedy often to be very frightening. Um, yeah. What is it like being in a job where there's kind of this overarching goal of like being funny? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I learned a lot in, especially in the first, first year or so where, you know, my, you know, again, like I I came from working on the campaign and working in the white house. It was, um, we were so preoccupied with being right. Like it was always just about being right and having all the facts straight and, um, you know, it's, it's either correct, it's right, or it's wrong, right? I mean, that's pretty much it. And, and I think that 
comedy is just so hard. Uh, yeah, like I completely agree with you, Kate. It's just, it's, um, I think one, it's a, it's like an art form, not to sound cheesy, but it's something that um, I had to sort of learn the language of, um, of uh, these sketches that we were writing. And um, I also had to learn the language of, or of just shutting the fuck up because a lot <laughs> of times I, I would have these opinions because I, I think, yeah, I think that you're right. I think everyone sort of thinks that they're funny. Um, I find that a lot with our partner campaign. So a lot of my job is we'll, we work with a lot of these, um, a lot of these groups, a lot of these political groups. So, you know, um, for instance, we just did a campaign for Planned Parenthood. We do campaigns for, you know, um, the Democratic National Committee, or we'll do a campaign for, um, you know, National Resources Defense Council, like an environmental group. And um, a lot of my job is telling our partners that they're just not that funny, right? Like, it's, it's like they know their facts, right? Like, they know, <laughs> they know their messaging, but um, when it comes down to the actual... Um, you know, uh, the actual work of, of figuring out like what, what is like, what is the game? What is like, what's the tension? What's the tone? Uh, what's the setup? Like all of those things are, um, are written by our writers who, you know, wrote on SNL and they wrote on the daily show and they wrote for the onion. I mean, they have this pedigree of, um, of being able to sort of work through it like anything else. Right, it's and, almost and like formulaic to create It's something. very formulaic, yeah, and it's, it's very equivalent. The, the one thing, um, that was one of the things when we were working on Between Two Ferns that I had to sort of sort of describe to our, um, our White House team was that, you know, much like we sort of needed Mikey Dickerson, who's this engineer, right, to come to Washington and fix this website. We just, we entrusted him. He knew how to fix this thing, Um we sort of had to do the same with comedy with, with the, with the comedy writers, because, you know, we, there were definitely some bits and some lines in the script because we did script out some of these jokes, some jokes, the president did not know was going to happen. Some of the jokes he did. And um, were his jokes prepared president Obama's. They were. So it's very, it's a very loose structure for most of between two ferns episodes. I don't know if I'm spilling anything. I don't know if Scott and Zach are like going to come after me or something, but um, (laughs) But I'm no, sure they most, listen to our show. <laughs> most Between Two Ferns episodes are completely unscripted. So yeah. um, I think there may have been one or two, like Hillary's, I'm pretty sure. Yes, for Hillary's, it was like sort of scripted. For some people, they definitely like will lay out like, okay, here's here's sort of the types of questions I'm going to ask. And so it, they let the, you know, they let the celebrity sort of <clears throat> craft their own answers to it, whether they prepare them or not. Right. Um, so for the president, yeah, he knew some of these questions were coming. Like, so he had time to be clever. He I had just, time to be clever, but for some yeah. of them, he didn't, you know, for some of them, he was kind of just like riffing. Yeah. And like for some of the questions, you know, for instance, like, how's it feel to be the last black president, which, <laughs> you know, on paper, you know, again, this is the type of thing when you're working at the white house and you're pre- preparing briefing materials and you're like sending it up the ladder of, you know, our senior staff, you know, like, <laughs> And they're reading jokes and they're like, wait, what? What is this? Right. <laughs> what is this joke? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and we have to explain, like, no, it's gonna be funny. Like, promise. You know, like right. it's like it's like the delivery is gonna be great. And there's gonna be a mo- you know, like you sort of have to and there there's a little bit of just trust where you're like, 
I trust these, you know, I trust that. Right. I, I trust He's these. a professional. He's, he's a he professional. <laughs> yeah. He could read the headline of a newspaper and make it funny, you know? <laughs> and that's, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing too, is for, for a lot of the work, um, you know, Funny or Die, Will uh, Farrell and Adam McKay, who are the founders, they met at Saturday Night Live. They met at SNL. And, um, you know, the, the spirit of Funny or Die and a lot of what we do is that sort of, um, it is very much improv Shakespeare, Catherine. It's very much like you sort of have an full idea. Circle, full circle, full circle. Exactly, <laughs> full circle. But but you're but it's the moment, right? And a lot of you know a lot of the movies that Will and Adam have made, like Talladega Nights or Anchorman or Step Brothers, Sweet Baby Jesus. It's like a lot of it is not in the script. A lot of it is just they. And sort you of can tell when you watch other. those movies. It's the best part where they're. It's just... the best parts. Yeah. Because it's so absurd. You're like, there's no way someone thought to write that because it's so crazy and it's so good. And it's so good. That's why Kate and I, when we're podcasting, you know, we we try to do a lot of that yes and. When we first started podcasting, if one of us would say something that we were just like, what? What the fuck did you just say? You know, we'd often... I would be like, stop, let's tape again. But now we try, we're basically like Will Ferrell. Oh, we're t- yeah, we're, we're Yeah, you're totally like Will thing. Ferrell. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We have a very, we saved the most important question for the end. And this is a question that I think Kate likes to ask this one. I'll give it to her. How much do you love oatmeal raisin cookies? It used to be what's your favorite oh, cookie. Oh, man. The queen of manipulation is here. I boxed you into an answer. No, what's, Brad, what's your favorite cookie? Uh, I'm a chocolate chip cookie guy. Oh, I know that's my like God, a God, Brad. Oh. Oops. Okay, as you can see, we accidentally hung up on Brad. Typical. Be- because he doesn't like oatmeal raisin cookies. Brad, that is revenge for putting me on the spot on stage all those years ago. You get hung up on. No, it's because he doesn't like oatmeal raisin cookies. In fact, he actually openly mocked them. See? In a, t- in a text exchange. We are the revenge duo. But we are really pumped for West Wingers, which comes out September 25th. So check that out. His story is in there among many other really interesting ones. And it is available for pre-order now. So pre-order now. Uh, open it. Open your pre-order. <laughs> Should we bring Liz on now? Oh, yeah. We have Liz. Tell the people quickly who Liz is. And then okay, we'll so Liz up. Moody is a really amazing human being who works for Mind Body Green. She is the food editor there. She is a fantastic cook, chef. I'm not really sure what terminology she goes under, but she has one cookbook out right now, and she is about to release her second one. It's called Healthier Together, and it looks beautiful. I was just looking at the PDF of it, and she's going to come on and share a little recipe that she's been playing with recently and give you guys something to uh, get hungry about. All right, everybody, it's time for it. Kate, do you want to do the honors? Yes, this is a segment that Catherine likes to call Feed Me Seymour. Okay, she's really improved. She's never actually seen Little Shop of Horrors, so she used to do Little this cartoon Shop. voice. <laughs> but today we have my friend Liz Moody. Liz Moody is the food editor for Mind Body Green. Hi, Liz. Hi, how are you guys? We're good. How are you doing? Good. I thought Kate did a great job this time. What are you going to make her watch the movie? Yes, it's actually really something. It's so creepy, though. It's it's something that I can't believe I watched in my childhood. 
and thought that was normal and that's right. how no. I feel about Indiana Jones. That was that creeped Temple me out. Temple of Doom. Yeah. Oh my god, the heart thing. That was yeah. the worst. Liz. I still haven't seen it. I just have done what? the ride at Disneyland, which is terrifying. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You've never seen Indiana Jones? I know, I know. <gasps> I'm a bad person. Wait, wait, Liz, have you seen Jurassic Park? Yeah, of course. I saw it on your Instagram feed and in real life. Yes. All the things. Yes. Okay. Well, I I just wanted I was gonna kick you off the podcast if you had (laughs) you may stay you have passed level one of feed me seymour (laughs) wonderful thank you so liz tell everybody a little bit about yourself um i'm liz uh i am the food director at mind body green which is a wonderful wellness website Catherine has been sort of our star yogi for like i don't know a very very long (laughs) probably amount of years that nobody really wants to think about (laughs) let's not date it (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so we do like all sorts of wellness things there. And then I also write healthy cookbooks. My first cookbook was called Glow Pops and that came out not last April, but the April before. And, and that's a all Bloody Mary yes. vodka pop in it. That's genius. There is. And it's with or without vodka, but you know, I, I recommend with vodka and usually. for texture purposes, you know? Yes. I mean, yes. It really gives it that nice mouthfeel. Um, and then my next cookbook is called healthier together and that's healthy cooking for friends, coworkers, and couples. And that comes out next April, which I'm so excited about because I feel like, I don't know, I hear all this wellness. I'm so entrenched in the wellness world and I get all this advice all the time and I get to talk to the world's best doctors and I I get, I feel like a lot of it is conflicting sometimes and we don't really know what's going on. And the one thing I do think we know is that like community is so, so important and relationships are so, so good for you. And when you drink wine, it's good for you, not because of the resveratrol, but because you're probably doing it, hopefully doing it with friends at a table, unless you're like sitting on the couch crying. Um, <laughs> oh no! That's a bad time to Prior to that part, that's a diet that I totally get behind. <laughs> exactly. So I think the book is really about like how us coming together is a huge part of the wellness equation, which is the number one part that I I can definitely get behind. Well, Liz, uh, you know, I know that you're bringing a recipe for us today, but I just I want to give you a little bit of background that the previous recipe that was offered on free cookies was offered by me. <laughs> And yes. that recipe was for a Cosmo and that recipe included all of the traditional ingredients, but the inclusion of a splash of pineapple. So I just want to know what you're dealing with in terms of the bar that has been set. <laughs> I know um, that Catherine was really proud of you for um, doing anything in the kitchen. So it's, yeah, well, <laughs> I, think, I think what we need to actually say here, Liz, is that I am an actual qualified mixologist now. Oh, yeah. technically for Team Jurassic Park, you know, people get stressed out when they spend the day running away from dinosaurs. Right, so right. You need to drink. Yeah, yeah absolutely. This is why I was actually thinking about doing a cocktail, but I was like, I can't pass that in terms of quality, right. so I shied sure. away from it. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Just Respect. pick a different lane entirely because <laughs> I have occupied that lane so thoroughly. Yes, yes. Um, I did pick a different lane. Should I tell you guys what I picked? Yes. I really hope it's like a double bacon cheeseburger and it's just going to be mic drop and people will be like, what? Better than yeah, it is. It's actually yeah, just, just like four types of cheeseburger like with like... Lard and fat <laughs> yeah, possible, yeah, it's right? great. Bacon it's like the heart attack one in Vegas. Have you yes. heard of that? Yeah. No. What's, is, there's a burger called the heart attack? Yeah. And it like, for obvious reasons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that we don't really need to go into. Yeah, no, it's self-explanatory. Okay, so 
I had my husband's favorite food in the entire world is carbonara. He's been um, mm. obsessed with like anytime we go to a restaurant, he gets carbonara. I mean, that there's carbonara on the menu. He doesn't demand it from the chef. Orders um, off the menu. And traditional <laughs> carbonara always means egg yolk, correct? Yeah, and... I actually use the whole egg even when I'm making traditional carbonara because I don't mm. think it makes a big enough difference. And I can't get on board with the waste unless I'm like have a meringue cooking session later that I'm planning and, for. Yes, I like the how that sounds. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's egg, uh, parmesan, uh, pasta water is actually a really important ingredient, and then uh, uh, lardons or bacon, and then a lot of parsley and black pepper. That is a normal carbonara. Mm-hmm. Normal, <laughs> traditional, but we don't do traditional here. So I was making a carbonara for my husband, and it occurred to me—well, for me too—I ate actually most of it. Um, but <laughs> it occurred to me that it was—I didn't—I don't love using cheese in my cooking. I find I'm not like totally against any ingredient, but I find that uh, dairy does tend to make me get zits on my face. Um, Even like an aged cheese, like a. It does. Yeah. I'll still use it, but like, it's just my cookbook's dairy free. Um, Mm -hmm. and I love eggs. I think eggs have a ton of health benefits. They're rich in protein. I always get pastured ones. So there are tons of omegas and stuff like that, but the dairy has always been sort of the part of carbonara that I've been less excited about. So I was like, what if I blended something else in with the eggs and then got this really beautiful, silky, creamy pasta sauce out of it? And we didn't need the Parmesan for the flavor because you got the flavor from something else. So I started my very first day with um, lemon. So I just mixed lemon zest in with the egg yolks and then I folded it into the pasta and like stirred it really aggressively like you have to for carbonara. And then I squeezed some fresh lemon juice in at the end and it was like a revelation. It was those creamy, amazing lemony pasta sauces that you get at really nice restaurants but oh it was so, so, so easy to make. You didn't need to do like any of the other weird, difficult steps to get that really silky, beautiful texture because it came from the egg and the pasta water. So since then, I've been doing this for like literally everything. It's like, a, <laughs> you know, blend commercials where they're like an iPad. Can we blend it? And <laughs> iPad in the blender. I'm like, will it carbonara? So I just literally take anything and I put it in my eggs and I mix it in. And my favorite one so far is a variation on the lemon, but it's with basil. So you just take your eggs and I do like one to two eggs per person. Okay. And then I blend it in the blender with a huge handful of basil. It turns this like gorgeous green color. Um, and then I mix that in really aggressively to my pasta which is boiled to al dente in a tight, like very well salted water with a little bit of salt, salted water reserved to mm-hmm. mix in at the end. And then I squeeze in some fresh lemon juice at the end if I have it on hand. And it's just this like bright green, super fresh summery pasta. Oh I also love doing like some fresh corn on top, some more fresh basil, some of that lemon zest. I'm doing it with like pistachio crushed into the, the mixture on top later today. Oh, okay. Is this, the pistachio going to be kind of like a Parmesan crumble replacement? Yeah, like a gremolata vibe. Yeah. So we'll like chop up the pistachio, like a to- pistachio. Yeah. It's the feminine version of pistachio. <laughs> um, we'll chop that up. We'll toast it up in a pan really nice, mix in with some lemon zest and some basil and some uh, fresh corn, I think. And it'll be just oh like summer. Mm. 
So, okay. So I feel like anyone listening has the rough game plan, but where, where would people be able to, is this written? Is this actually yeah, somewhere you, where we can find any it? Any mind body green article we can send them to? Or this, no, you, it's not on mine, but yeah, this, I'm debuting Woo, this, but I'm we actually going to make it content? tonight. Yes. Exclusive, exclusive. I'm going to make it tonight. So I'll probably put it, I share basically everything I eat on my Instagram, which is at Liz Moody. So you can find it there probably as well as like my 17 other variations of this recipe. Cause I'm legitimately obsessed That's with it. That's my favorite kind of recipe. Cause once you have the heart of it and you can just you know, kind of freestyle. Riff on yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, of course it's your favorite kind. I feel like every, every time I see you in the kitchen, you're like, this was a recipe one time <laughs> and now it is not. And now I don't even know anymore. Yeah. Good. Good. Oh my gosh. This yeah. is so perfect. Thank you so much, Liz. Um, yeah. And everyone please look for her book. It is pre-sale available now on Amazon. Correct. Yeah, the cover just went up. So go look at the cover and then tell me if you like That's it. That's what we're doing. I'm like as very soon nervous as we hang about up with the whole you. thing. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. We love you, Liz. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Liz. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. That'll do it for free cookies. You can find us on Instagram at Free Cookies Podcast. You can email us at freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. We are produced by Lindsay Collins of FMD Radio. And who has just started her new season, and she's rolling solo now. Rolling solo, rolling solo. But I heard she invited us on the show. She did invite us on the show. Okay. But we're waiting for her to come through on that. She hasn't actually sent us any dates. (laughs) It's one of those open-ended invites where you don't actually solidify the guest. But again, that is called F&B Radio. Check it out. And we wanted to say thank you to people who have taken the time to write reviews. And for those of you who rated us, thank you for doing that, even though I can't thank you because I don't have your name. But this is who we want to say thank you to. This is going to be... There's just so many. No, this is a Because it's been a few weeks. I want to thank... As pon but a kvit. Wait, wait, I want to try. I want to try. Good luck. I want to thank As Point See, I nailed it. Nailed it. I kind of. I also want to thank Indy Jane. That one was easy, so I wanted to do it. Oh, you're taking my job. We want to thank Susie Oinks! Exclamation point. Oinks like oink oink. Like oinks! Exclamation point. Oh, cool. We want to thank. Kia J. Marie. Lil Drabs, exclamation point. Lil Pennywads. They're trying. They're catching up. I know. I'm a trendsetter. The girl from the plane. Oh, how mysterious. CDM2421. KMW0524. That's like a radio station in Minnesota. Miss Patsy. Ooh, that's like the rapper. Lisa Victorious. Autism Rocks. Sports RD. Thank you. D-bomb. Thank you. And please, if you're enjoying the show, we want to keep this advertisement free. So you can support us on Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Free cookies! So Kate (laughs) is losing her shit, so I think we should probably wrap it up. I do not talk a lot. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Oh, and the axe comes down. Peace.